The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Good morning. So it's a Saturday morning, and my parents are out of town, and they left me without any tasks while they were gone. I decided that there was nothing better to do with my time, so I got up out of bed at the break of dawn, 9 a.m., <laughs> and started to mow the lawn. At this point, I'm feeling really productive, and I decided to do the dishes as well as take out the trash. I'm thinking to myself, this is probably the most productive day I've had in weeks. And my parents are going to be so proud of me when they get home. Flash forward to the time that they come home. It's Sunday evening, and both of them are coming through the front door, and they are just exhausted. 
I'm greeting them and asking them how their trip has been. Um, and I told myself that before they came, I would not jump to telling them all that I've done, and I'd just let them figure it out um, as they're walking around the house. And I have no clue how it happened, but out of nowhere, maybe the third sentence that I said was, you see all that I've done? <laughs> you see all that I've done. Sounds pretty selfish, right? I didn't have to tell them that I did all those things. They'd figure it out. And if they didn't, at least they wouldn't have to tell me later to do those things. Now, this story is too close in proximity to where we are right now for me to really be comfortable saying, but do we see similarities with this and our daily walks with Christ? You wake up one morning feeling full of spirit, and you maybe text a friend, and it happens that they're having a rough week, and you're able to help them. Or you give $5 to the man at the corner. Maybe you bring someone to church, or maybe you just pray for someone else. All these deeds are amazing on their own, but when you raise your hand to the crowd, or even debate with God that you are a good person, saying, I did all of this, though. The value of these things, they go down the drain. My parents had the opportunity to lead this last woman's walk to Emmaus. I love hearing all of the amazing things that everybody who went have to say. One part in particular, though, stood out to me. There are workers from the walk who set up everything silently. Decorations, food, bedrooms, everything at the walk is ready for the people before they get to them. These workers did everything without anybody knowing because it was their job to keep their faces hidden from the people on the walk. They weren't looking for praise. They were just hoping to bring someone closer to God with their unseen acts. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. We need to stay quiet in our work. This does not mean that we don't proclaim the goodness of God, but that we bring it all back to him. If you are doing good things for your own benefit, are they actually good? God didn't have to give us the ability to reach him in heaven. He generously sent us that gift. He isn't screaming in our faces either, saying, I did this for you, so you need to bow down and be good. No, he gently whispers in our ear every now and then and leaves the rest to us. As Christians, we do not need to tell everyone the things that we've done in our walks that make us closer to God than them. But walk in humility and give all glory to him. He knows the struggles that we have. And he sees our good deeds because they are all for him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the time that we all have together. Thank you for remembrance that you died on the cross. You sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. Let us walk in humility in our, in our walks with you, Lord. And let us let us worship you and let us do all of these acts unseen. And if they are seen, let us bring it all back to you, Lord, because everything that we do 
is for your glory. In your name I pray. Yeah. 
like how your voice sounds on a recording? That would be a grand total of zero, I'm guessing. Um, most people do not. We audiologists will tell us, audiologists will tell us we hear two different ways. One is through the bones in our ear, and that's the internal, and the external is the sound waves that bounce off the walls. But when we hear it on a recording, the interior is not there, so it's just the exterior, and it sounds different, usually a little bit higher, and it mostly annoys us, doesn't it? In 2013, Penn State did a study of 100 people, and they asked them to rate the attractiveness of different voices. And they were just going to play them, uh, you know, a bunch of voices and rate them on a scale of 1 to 10 or 1 to 5, whatever it was. But they didn't tell them that they recorded their own voices. And they put it in the middle of that menagerie of voices. And the stats tell us 82% of them gave a higher grade to their own voice, even though they didn't recognize it. So maybe we do like it. I don't know. But the reality is we often can't hear what's going on in our life. We often can't see the things that other people can see going on in our life. We're in this series called This Is The Way. Yes, we're playing off on The Mandalorian, and uh, we're doing that. But we're really specifically looking at the first eight chapters of the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 3 today. If you have your Bible, start turning there. If you're online, join us in God's Word. We're going to look at a story of Peter and John. Very familiar. But through this series, five weeks in October, we're going to be looking at this early church, asking a couple of questions week after week. How did they do that? How did they grow from 12 to, to 120 to 3,000 to 5,000? And they said within 50 years that the gospel had spread 2,000 miles. If they can do that, how, how can we? How did they do that? And what can we do? And I will tell you today, they did it by being the, doing the mission of the church, healing and restoring. Join me in uh, Acts chapter 3 as we get going today. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day was put beside each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. 
he jumped up, stood on his feet, began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God when they realized he was the lame beggar that had been seen so often at the beautiful gate. They were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Now, as we begin today, we need to get this. Cultures change. Our commitment should not. I want you to note what Peter and John were doing. They were going to the temple for one of the regular days of regular times of prayer. Morning, noon, or morning, early afternoon, and late afternoon were the regular times that Jews went to the temple to pray. But this is after they've gotten to know Jesus, and you know we're not we're not tied to the law anymore. We're tied to Jesus. They could have easily abandoned the law, but they didn't. They went about the habits of following the law. Jesus did that. They didn't throw it out. They, they followed the law and they respected it. There is a movement in our culture, call it postmodernism, call it whatever we want. We hear this phrase, deconstruct your faith. You need to tear your faith down and figure out what you believe. Now, I like that last part, figure out what you believe. But a lot of people are saying, man, throw out everything, throw out the baby, the bathwater, the tub, the bathroom, everything, throw it all out and start all over. And I don't believe that. I don't think we need to do that. Our commitment to Jesus and his teachings should not change. Now, listen real close what I said. I said our commitment to Jesus teachings, not our commitment to our opinion. Not our commitment to the denominational line. You hear what I'm saying? We need to be people of the word. And if we're going to make an impact, it's going to be because we're looking at how Jesus taught. That's what they did. Now, we don't know this guy's name, but we can figure out his situation. It wasn't good. He, it says he was lame from birth. He was being carried, so it implied both legs didn't work. It wasn't like a a crutches situation. He was completely dependent on others. He was probably a Jewish believer of some sort because he was near the temple, and he understood that, hey, they're going to be giving away money. Maybe I could get some there. But he was in a bad way. As a Jew, he could not work, and we know the Romans are not going to help him out. There was no Medicaid. There was no disability insurance. He was hopeless. Okay, now listen real close. He wasn't hopeless. He had less hope. There was, there was very little hope that he could fix his situation. So he was in the habit of being in the temple because, hey, there's generous people. And they're on their way to pray, and maybe they feel guilty, and they're in, all right, I'll throw a little extra in your cup. And it says they situated him by the gate called Beautiful. Now, there's some fun research there. The gate called Beautiful is not the entrance to the temple. It is actually one of the dividers. It was, most experts feel it was a 50 to 60 foot wide gate between the Gentile area, which is like the outer court, and the women's area. And so he would set up there hoping to catch the the kindness of these women. And it's also around Solomon's colonnade. Now, you may be going, I don't care about the history, Don, but you need to get this part. 
Because all of that is the exact same area where in John chapter 10, they threatened to kill Jesus. Jesus, in John 10, 10, I come that you have life and have it to the full. We like that verse. But what that verse was doing was upsetting the Pharisees. And they all, and it says, if you go back and read in John 10, they picked up stones to kill him and his followers. Now, it's real easy to say, "Eh, well, that was a long time ago. It probably wasn't. It was probably two to three months prior to this event. And Peter and John would have been there and they would have seen that. Would it be feasible that they might have a little fear going into that place? Hey, buddy, uh, last time we were here, this did not go well, all right? Maybe we should just keep our head down. Let's just not get into anything here. Would that be feasible? I think it would be very realistic. But friends, God is often calling us from our places of comfort to confront our fears. I think God wants us in a a place where we're at ease and we're relaxed and then he's going to pull us out and challenge us to go somewhere to confront our fears. You may be facing a very big challenge in your life. Maybe it's a medical, maybe it's a financial, maybe it's a relational problem and you're facing something really big. Can I encourage you don't shy away from it? Don't let the enemy whisper in your ear, you can't do this, you're not strong enough. Our God is big enough and he wants to use us in those difficult situations. Now, this guy expected money, but he got so much more. I wonder, do we often expect too little from God? Now, you may be thinking, uh, what was that question all about, Don? Of course we want the best. I'm afraid sometimes we search for the wrong help. Let me see if I can put a scenario together. I, I'm looking at my finances and everything's terrible. And I see all these bills building up and I look at that $1.2 billion lottery. Anybody I start praying, Hey God, you know, I, I'd only keep a little of it for myself. And see, we want that. We want it to fix our finances that way. What if What if he's calling you to be a part of FPU and to change your mindset? What if he wants to completely change how you handle your money? You see what I'm saying? Sometimes we want God to fix our situation. He wants to fix us. What if it's your marriage? God, fix him. God, make her better. Uh, But what if he's calling you men to be the man of the house? What if he's calling you women to really get into God's word. You're dealing with a special needs child. You're dealing with a special challenge at work. Whatever it is, are you asking God to change the situation or are you asking God to change you? We often fail to see that, that we fail to see that often our deepest needs are spiritual, not physical. And sometimes we seek worldly answers to those physical problems. Sometimes we seek worldly answers to the church. Oh, well, we want to fix it so we like it. What if he's trying to change us? See, I believe Jesus intended his church to be a communion of believers from all kinds of backgrounds, from all kinds of brokenness. None of us have it perfect. None of us have it all figured out. Amen. That we're hanging on to each other, not just let's get a comfy place and get the music we like and the preaching we like. And 
I think one of my favorite parts of the, there's several parts of the story I love, but one of them is one of the marks of the early church was how they saw people. Look verse at verse four in verse four in chapter three, it says, Peter and John looked at him intently. If you're in the NIV, it says it looks straight at him. They gave the man their attention. Do you give your attention to others? I mean, full on make eye contact, really connect with them. Are we focused? Do we look people in the eye? Do we listen when they're speaking so we're hearing what they're saying? Or do we just listen for them to stop talking so we can start talking? I was accused of this recently. I said, I I don't listen. I'm not paying attention. And I thought I was, but maybe, maybe I don't. You see, but here's the kicker. This guy didn't deserve their attention. Let's be realistic. He is a poor man that's got problems. These are guys that follow Jesus. We've got a lot to do. They didn't deserve. He didn't deserve their attention. Do we treat people like that? Oh, but I've got busy things to do. I've got work to do. You know what I'm saying? How easy would it be to ignore that guy? Let's go a different tack. How many of you would consider or you know a friend or a coworker that you would call high maintenance? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> Might be sitting right next to you. Uh, I got a book a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was really powerful. Uh, it's called High Maintenance Relationships by a guy named Les Parrott. Les and his wife are marriage counselors, written a lot of stuff. And he gives uh, stats in there. So please don't stab me. I'm just reading them. All right. He said that 20% of all men are high maintenance, but 37% of all women are high maintenance. Again, I don't, I'm not writing it. I'm just, just writing it all out. Right. That means that one in five men are high maintenance. One in three women are high maintenance. So look to your left, look to your right. If neither one of them are, it might be you. Um, Just saying. In this book, he gives 14 different types of high maintenance. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I just want you to hear a few of them. Okay. These are people that we would consider high maintenance, that it takes a lot of effort. Okay. There is the critic, someone that constantly complains or is looking for blame elsewhere. There is the martyr. Forever the victim, looking for blame elsewhere. There is the wet blanket. I would call this one the Eeyore, you know, the pessimistic. They're automatically negative. The glass is always three quarters of the way empty. There is the competitor that keeps track of relationships, tit for tat, kind of a, you know, well, if they did, then I need to. Well, if I did, then they need to. And on behaviors, there is the chameleon that is eager to please everyone and doesn't want any conflict at all. And there is the sponge that is constantly in need of affirmation and encouragement, but rarely shares that. Now, here's the question. That is easy to hear that list. And I got a hunch some of you are already putting names to some of those on the list, weren't you? Again, don't raise your hands. They might be right next to you, okay? But... It is easy to have a name for all of them. What if that name is you? You see, we started this whole thing about, we don't like hearing our own voices, do we? We don't like how it sounds. Sometimes we don't like hearing 
where we are flawed. We don't think of ourselves that way. We want to be good. But the reality is we all need help in becoming the church and becoming the way. We all are in that process. I heard on the radio this week, um, and again, I don't know if these are stats or true, but it said that our bodies are made up of 300 trillion cells, an estimated 300 trillion cells, and that 30 billion of them are replacing themselves every day. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's a lot of work. That means you're changing. You're not the person you were a week ago. That's not the, you're not the person where you were 10 years ago. You are in the process. You are on the road of change. You're in the road of becoming. And if you're not seeing your flaws, you're missing God's work in you. And that's what it means to embrace the world in holiness. Now, I said a minute ago, we're all broken. We all made mistakes. Yes. But God is calling us to holiness. Now, that's not popular. But Peter said it in first Peter. He says, it is written in the scriptures. You must be holy because I am holy. You know, he's quoting, he's quoting God in Leviticus 11, Leviticus 19 and Leviticus 20. All three times God said, you must be holy because I am holy. God is commanding us to change. We should never be comfortable where we are. The body of Christ is changing for the better. It's not about accepting where we are. It's all who we are. No, there has to be a change attitude, a change mindset. This is the same Peter that last week stood up on the steps and said, you need to repent. Repent is a challenging word, and it is not a popular word in our culture, isn't it? I mean, that's about, no, 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 no. You just, you just be you. No, no, no. He says, you are not. You need to change you into the likeness of him. And I think one of my favorite parts of this story is that Peter and John didn't see this moment coming. They didn't get up that morning and go, Hey, I think we're going to heal somebody. Make sure we got our healing gloves on. You got your healing hat. Uh, Let's we're going to go heal people today. They didn't plan for the moment. The moment found them. I think that's huge. Like I said, maybe two months at most three months earlier, they were, theoretically going to be killed in this exact same spot. Would it be feasible? Would it be easy to see that guy walking and see that guy sitting there going, Hey, you got any extra change? And I magically get a phone call. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody do that? Get those. Oh, oh, oh it was on mute. Uh, yeah. Hello. Yes. I'll be there in just a minute. Would it be easy to ignore that person? Would it be easy to overlook or sidestep that person? question. Have you avoided moments that God has placed you in? The friends all want to go to a party. You don't. What do you do? That's, that's youth ministry 101 right there. That's every devotional we've ever done at youth ministry. Uh, what would you do? But what do you do in those situations? What about this? How many of you have seen the guys with the cardboard signs? Anybody? And we've, we've been pretty blessed in Portales. We haven't had those usually, but they've been showing up recently, haven't they? You've seen some of them. Do you guys have the same angst in your stomach 
that I do. Because I see them and there's the one side of me that, well, I'm the Christian. I should do something. But if I do something, are they just going to buy booze and drugs with it? Anybody? Does anybody have that internal war or is it just me? Because I battle that all the time. Maybe it's that family member. A family member that has hurt you or has made it really uncomfortable around the holidays. And, and now we're coming up toward holidays and you're going to have to see that person again. What if God is putting you in those specific points? I got this quote uh, earlier this week and I, I'll be honest with you, it offended me at first. Let us go forth with fear and courage and rage to save the world. Now, I like those first two, fear and courage. Oh, that's good. But rage, the more I looked at it, what, he's, what she is saying, Grace, Grace Paley is saying, we cannot be accepting of where we are right now. We cannot be stable where we are. We have got to say, God, I want all of you. I want you to change me from the inside out. I don't want to just sing that song. I want to be different. And with, with, an, with an actual and an anxious challenge, I'm going to chase God. And I'm going to chase his perfection. Because that's what he's calling us to do. But friends, you need to realize this. If we are pleasing God, we are bound to arouse opposition. Pleasing God leads to uncovering lies, uncovering hate, an uncovering comfort that has this world imprisoned. And if we're going to go against that, it is going to be challenging to us. We cannot love in a world that hates and not get hated. We cannot call for sacrifice and not feel a little sacrifice, uh, sacrificed in the process. And every good Friday should remind us of how finicky humans are. Sunday, we call Palm Sunday, the one right before Easter, right? Palm Sunday. Jesus, we love you. You're awesome. Friday. Hey, somebody got a hammer? How quickly the world turned in five days. Just insane how much people are going to treat you. But friends, we might be called bigots. We might be called hateful. We might be called judgmental. I got this poem that was printed on a wall in a, it's called the home for Cal, uh, home for children in Calcutta, India. I doubt any of you have visited it. You may not know anything about it, but I bet you know somebody that was there. Her name was mother Teresa. And this was painted on the wall. And many of you've heard some of this poem. I'm not going to read all of it, but here are a few excerpts of it. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. I mean, you've heard parts of this. This is fairly familiar. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build it anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have. It may never be enough. Give the best you've got anyway. You see, and this is... On the wall, it says this way. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. We need to love anyway. But that's hard. You see, what they did and what we need to do, if we're going to be the way, we need to do what Peter and John did in that moment. 
They did the work of the church. And here is the work of the church. Healing and strengthening. Healing and strengthening. Look down verse 7 with me. Look at verse 7. In the middle of it, it says, And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly, what? Healed and strengthened. That is the first thing the first church did. And we need to do that. But I'm going to be honest with you. These hands have never gone up and smacked somebody on the head and then they magically walked out. I, you know, they may have slapped me back. I don't know. But I, that, that's, that's not me. Last week we talked about the Pentecost and speaking in tongues. And now we're talking about healing and all this makes some of us very uncomfortable because uh, I don't like talking about that stuff. All right. You're right. I, I haven't. I'm being straight up. I have never done that. But I've been with people that are hurting. I saw it this week in this very church. Some of you helped out with this. This past Monday, I did a funeral for a a very difficult situation. Uh, A young man in my book, 35, um, it was a suicide. It was um, 10 years of mental illness, schizophrenia, really troubled, really battled, lots of struggles. and when he, he died, they didn't have a church family. They, some of them were raised Catholic, but they hadn't been in a long, long time. They didn't know anybody. But it turns out the mother of this person was somebody I'd gone to high school with. And at the funeral home, they mentioned my name. And she said, I know him. Can, can. So I went and met with them. And, and they didn't have anything. They didn't know anything. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to go about this. So we helped build it. And I said, hey, could, could we maybe have a meal for your family? She goes, oh, no, you don't need to do that. And I said, no, we want to do that. And some of you came and worked and served a meal to people that are not here today and probably aren't going to be here. Do you get that? Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. It's not our job. Our job's to love them. Our job's to love people when they're hurting. The first 